Humor. It is a gift we give ourselves as a reminder to have fun, not to take life so serious, and, and to point out that we are human beings and we're not meant to be perfect. Perfection is maddening, after all. Hey there, I am Cindy Coaches, and I am the host of the Pen to Paper Press podcast. Best-selling authors, writers, editors, and publishers join me in my virtual studio for conversations about the process of developing our stories to completing our works of art. Today, it is a privilege to have Alan Klein join me in my virtual studio. He's a wise man with a great sense of humor, as you will hear in today's episode. Without further delay, enjoy my conversation with best-selling author and speaker, Alan Klein. Today I have Alan Klein, who uh, shows audiences worldwide. Uh, um, let me start. <laughs> let me start that over. <laughs> Go backwards. Backwards. Yeah. Retract. Back it up. <laughs> Alan Klein shows audiences worldwide how to use humor and positive thinking to deal with life's, well, not so funny stuff. He's an award-winning author and professional speaker. He has published more than 30 books, and he's also a TEDx presenter. And I am honored to welcome you, Alan, to my virtual studio. How are you? I'm... Um... Fairly good, fairly great. Right, good. <laughs> I was trying to think of a clever way to answer. <laughs> I, I'm good. I'm good. One of the questions that I would love to ask you is with more than 30 books published, what can you share with us about the ups, the downs of getting published? How many uh, days do we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to keep this around, you know, <laughs> less than an hour for sure. <laughs> All I was trying to point out is there's just a lot. Um, I've been doing, let's see, my first book came out, The Healing Power of Humor, came out in 1989, and I uh, certainly wrote that several years before, and it, there was some delays in it getting published. So, um, you know, I'd say 86, 87, uh, I've been writing since then. So there's just a lot that's happened. And I'm always amazed in the book journeys. So first, for, for people who are beginning authors or, want, or writers who want to be published authors, just let me um, tell them about my how I decided at the beginning whether to self-publish or whether to look for a mainstream publisher, because I think that is uh, an important part of the puzzle that every published author needs to decide. Yeah. Uh, and today it's really easy to get published if you're doing self-publishing. Right. There's just so many channels. But when I was um, trying to decide for the healing power of humor, and that was not the title when I wrote the book, I'll explain that because that's interesting too. But 
Um, what I did when I couldn't decide whether it should be mainstream publisher or self-publishing, I took a piece of paper, I wrote on the top, self-publishing, mainstream publishing, put a line down it, and then under each, I put another line down with a plus, minus, plus, minus. Mm -hmm. And I looked at all the pluses in self-publishing, which was like, I'd have more self-control. Um, I'd make more money on the sales, uh, stuff like that. And then I looked at the negative. Uh, I'd have to store the books in my garage. Um, it may not get into every bookstore in the country. It may not get far in sales. I mean, there were all of those things. Realizing, Cindy, there was no internet in those days. So now it's a little easy to do some of those things. But when I was writing, that wasn't the case. So then the other choice was getting a mainstream publisher. And the minus of that was I'd have to get an agent because most <clears throat> mainstream publishers do not take books. And it's almost the same today. And there are fewer mainstream publishers because they all buy up everyone else. Okay. I mean, my first book, uh, Healing Power of Human, you know, I talk about the journey. Well, it, it came out as a, as a uh, torture. T-A-R-C-H-E-R book. They did a lot of kind of new age books. And then they were bought by St. Martin's. So it was Torture St. Martin's. Then they were bought by Putnam. So it was Torture St. Martin's Putnam. Now it's Torture St. Martin's Putnam Penguin. Oh my. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> nothing changes with the book except the publisher. And I mean, the, all the rights and all the royalties, all that's the same. But it's just interesting to me how the publishing world changes so much. So then I, you know, I'd look down, well, um, I might get less royalty, but I get more readers. And I had this whole list and I would circle ones that really stood out to me. And, and the one that really stood out and directed how I wanted to get that book out in the world was that I wanted my message to go to as many people in the world as possible. And the message was that therapeutic humor could help us get through anything. And so that just directed me to a mainstream publisher. And so I got an agent and we got 12 rejections and then he got the publisher. <clears throat> so um, that was like the, the first thing that I think writers who want to be authors need to understand and to uh, settle on their in their mind of how how they want the book in the world. Why are they writing it? I was writing it to help people, and I started to write a book because my wife died when she was very young, thirty four, and she had a great sense of humor. And it was also the same time Norman Cousins was talking about how he healed himself with humor. And so um, I remember when my wife, when we found out my wife had a terminal illness, there were lots of tears, but there was also lots of laughter. And I realized after she died, it was that laughter that helped us rise above the situation, gave us a little reprieve, gave us a little... Um, distance, a little perspective on what we were going through. 
And I wanted to share my wife's humor and how her humor helped us and our friends rise above that situation. And so I had this passion to share that message. So I think um, writers need to have a passion, a message that you want to share with other people. So I said, I'd tell you about the title, because I think that's such an interesting thing. And again, it's when I thought about writing a book, I never thought these things would happen. But the title I had was Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying. And I had a fabulous editor. And she said, Alan, never change that title. That is a New York Times bestselling title. Don't change it. Yeah. And I was writing away with her for about eight, nine months. And then she left the company. <clears throat> and I got a new editor who I did not like as much as I liked her. And he said, uh, um, we got to change the title. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not. He said, no, we got to change the title. And so, um, and I'll tell you in a moment why we had to change the title. But the title from Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying became The Healing Power of Humor. Which title was better? I don't know. The the book is currently in a 40th something printing and a ninth foreign wow. language translation. Would it have wow. done better than that with uh, learning to laugh when you feel like crying? I don't know. So the reason the title had to be changed, and again, I never realized this, and this is what you do not have with self-publishing. But mainstream publishers, at least at that time, came out with a fall catalog and a spring catalog. Okay. And um, they put the book as Learning to Laugh When You Feel Like Crying in the fall catalog. And the salespeople go out and pre-sell the book. And they got a hold of me one day, no email in those days, phone or letter saying, uh, <laughs> we're withdrawing the book from the fall catalog. We're going to put it in the spring catalog because we've only pre-sold 7,500 copies. I thought that was pretty good, but... <laughs> Was, I'm, I'm thinking that would be fantastic. Exactly. But for them, it was not good enough. Not what they were expecting. I don't know what it was. So anyhow, they said, we're putting it in the spring catalog, but we're changing the title to The Healing Power of Humor. So that <laughs> that is that how that happened. Um, isn't it funny how those things kind of get twisted and turned and uh, remarkable. <laughs> yeah. One thing I, I have to ask with all of these books that are under your belt, do you still write a shitty first draft? And the reason I ask <laughs> is <laughs> recently I was talking with a gal who is, uh, she's just started writing her book and I really, I bursted her bubble when I, I told her her first draft is going to be, well, less than perfect. I basically told her it's going to, it's going to suck, you know, cause she was asking, well, how do I get this better? And, and how do I craft my word? And I'm like, 
just pour the words out onto the page. Your first draft is, is always considered, you know, the shitty first draft. And she was like beside herself. I would love to know when you sit down to write your <laughs> first draft, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably right. It's, I don't know if I call it, did you say shitty? Yeah, the first <laughs> um, draft. <laughs> I'm not sure it would be that bad, but um, it's not great. It's not ready for publishing, of course. And you know, I read. I could read a paragraph over and over and over and change it, you know, twenty times until there's something about writing, and I. It's almost like having a piece of clay and sculpting it just the way I want it to look. Yes. And there's this, when I get those words or that idea or that paragraph or even just that sentence the way I want it, I often get a gut feeling that this is the way, this is what I wanted to say, and this is the best way I know how to say it. And, and then it may even change because a week from now I may feel, oh, there's a better way to say that. I mean, Right. Uh, it does change. And the, the beautiful thing about a computer is if you write on a computer, it's so easy to move things around and change right. things or save things and go back to it. I remember when I was writing my first books, it was on a typewriter. Mm -hmm. And every change I had to either white out or most of the time I would, you know, want to move things, cut and paste. You take this paragraph and put it at the beginning and scotch tape it and, yep. uh, and then <laughs> <that>. type it. <laughs> remember that, Cindy? I do. I um, do remember having to do that. So writing today is so much easier than it used to be. And I find if I don't write every day, this is another tip for your would-be authors. At least for me, I need to write every day. It's like practicing the piano. Mm -hmm. If I skip a day, even the weekend, if I skip a Saturday or Sunday, I get back to it. It just takes longer to get into the flow of the book, into what I'm writing. So I try to write every day. I am, when I have a book contract, first of all, I have a commitment right. to someone to get this done by a certain time. And so another tip is, is even if you don't have a book publisher, if you're writing your own self-published book, make a commitment with yourself or someone else that by Friday, I will have five pages or some, you know, some commitment to keep you going. And then I always, if I have a contract, I'm at my desk by nine o'clock. Are it's you? as if I have a job and I, I, I have a Victorian house. So I, this is the second floor and I have to go up the steps after breakfast. And I always joke, Oh, the, the traffic was so terrible on the steps. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm late for writing, but if I'm late, it's five minutes late. It's not an hour late because working for yourself, writing for yourself is like the time can just disappear. Yes. And you can you can just, oh, well, I'll just do that. I'll just straighten my desk. And all of a sudden, two hours are gone that you were going to write. So be in a certain place. It helps every day. The same thing. And the other thing is, when I was first writing a book, I thought, 
in the contract, I think it said 80,000 words. Okay. And that amounted to, I don't know, 250 pages or something. Um, and I thought, this is so daunting. And I think other writers, you know, they, they want to write a book, but God, that's so daunting. And I thought if I could write a page a day, even less than a page a day, but write every day or a page a day and take Saturday and Sunday off, although I did say I do, I do write then. Mm -hmm. But what, it, what I realized is I will have a book by the end of the year. So just keep writing, just keep writing. You know, that's, that's, and I think you just said that with the, the other author that, you know, put it down on paper and then you may have to keep going back and keep writing. Well, and that, yeah, that is what I shared with her was, you know, the, she doesn't have a, an outline or a specific, she knows kind of sort of where she wants to go with a book. And I said, you know, the first draft is a great place for that brain dump where you're just pouring the ideas out. You're letting your interior voices control the pen or, you know, the fingers tap dancing on the keyboard. And, you know, she's like, but I have to, I have to have it right. I have to, you know, and I'm like, no, you don't <laughs> let that go. Let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Just let, just let the words just pour out of you. And when you're in that space of, you know, you're writing and you're writing and you look up, the, you look up from the computer or the pad of paper and it's dark outside, you know, you were in it. You were in right. it oh, and yeah. you were in that, you were in that. And that's space. a jam place. That's incredible. Isn't yeah. it? I love and that. And the other thing about, I want to just dovetail on what you said, putting things down on paper getting on the computer. What I found when I'm writing is I put it down and then I look, oh, look, this thing on page, a couple of paragraphs on page 20 goes really well with something I said in page three. And I start, or this, look, this, I have enough stuff here to make a chapter out of this part. And if I just keep that in my head, I don't see that. So put, I, I totally agree with you, Cindy. Put it down on paper. Um, yeah, because you never know yeah. where it's going to fit in. So you you want little bits that follow from the front and get intertwined into various chapters and follows through. You Because you want to remind, you know, it's like the great mystery. There's puzzle pieces and you got to lay those puzzle pieces out. <laughs> yeah, it's like a puzzle. In fact, my latest book, The Awe, A-W-E Factor, just came out in, in, de, in December. Okay. Um, a friend read it and he said, how do you put all of those ideas, those pieces together? How did you do that? <laughs> and it's just, you know, putting it all down and moving stuff. And, and the other thing that inspires me, and this may help some of your um, people you work with, is I like to get inspiration from maybe quotations because is it time to dance? Well, I guess I'm okay. <laughs> I nobody ever I have two cell phones. I have one that I use for Wi-Fi and one that's my personal. 
nobody ever calls this one so i apologize <laughs> that's fine you know i have mine here too and i have it on silence but sometimes when i do that a call still comes through i don't know why well i will um, turn that right off so i can't write in a vacuum i need one of my and it may just be me but this may help some writers, um, other writers. <laughs> I need inspiration. So I'm often, if I'm writing a book or thinking about writing a book and I hear a story or something on the radio or read something, I will save it because I may never use it, but just that inspiration is like a diving board, a jumping board for me, yeah. you know. Or if I'm using a quote, it would be, or found a quote I like, you know, it sets the tone for for the what I'm writing about. And so I will maybe want to use that quote in the chapter somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. Or the other thing about quoting other people or quote or, or famous or other writers is it gives you credibility, I think. You know, if you quote somebody... Yes, it gives you a little credibility, one that you kind of acknowledge this other writer and that someone else is talking about this subject that you're talking about now, too. Right. So, I, yeah, I I find um, that's where I often get my inspiration is just I used to I don't quite do that so much now. I put it on my computer, but I used to have cardboard boxes and whenever mm -hmm. I found a story, an article, uh, something, something said, I'd write it down and put it in a, in a box. And when the box was pretty full, I knew I'd have a content for a book. I'd have enough material for a book. See, and I would do, yeah, and I would use like index cards. Back when I was writing uh, for a local newspaper, I would have index cards of different things that, you know, oh, next year I got to remember to write about, you know, the the strawberry festival or the asparagus right. festival or whatever. And, um, you know, the different events that were coming up. And I also had a manila folder, you know, a filing system that I would have for different subjects that, ooh, you know, that would make a really good book or that would make a really good article. So, right. Yeah. So I advise other writers start collecting because once you get your first book out, you're probably going to want to write another one at least. <laughs> when I'm writing one book, I always get ideas for others. Yes. So I'd like to tell you another interesting story about, you talked about journey. So I had, oh, seven or eight um, quotation books with okay. a division of Random House. And they were doing really well. They were sold, I think, about 400,000 copies. And then that division of Random House closed to save money. They just closed that division. Okay. And so I got okay. the rights back. And for about a year and a half, I was struggling to um, sell those books to another company and I couldn't, couldn't find any, any. So I believe sometimes when we struggle, we're putting out negative energy. So I said, Alan, just stop that. Just stop that. And let's see if I have uh, that card. I do. 
So what I did is I did a three by five card and I put the perfect publisher will find me yes. on the card. Perfect publisher. So I just let it out in the universe that I'm looking for a publisher, but I'm not going to struggle to find one. And I had it above my computer, so I saw it every day. So for writers, I think you need to put your intention out of what you want yes. to happen with your book or books. Or mm -hmm. So this was my intention to find the perfect publisher. And I just looked at it hours a day because it was right near my computer. And then one day I went to a writer's meeting where they were going to have a speaker about getting your book publicity for your book. Okay. And I knew I had heard about this person. I wanted to hear him. So I went to the meeting and I sat down on the aisle and there was a man next to me <clears throat> turned around speaking to two women behind him. And um, I heard them say to him, oh, we have a very successful publishing company, but we're opening a new division and we're looking for inspirational, motivational, uplifting books. And I turned around <laughs> and I said, I have seven or eight that Random House just very successfully published, but they're not publishing anymore. Might you be interested? And they said, um, send us the books and they gave me their card. Mm -hmm. And this was a, all moment related to my new book, The All Factor, um, an all moment for me because I looked at their card and they were three blocks from where I lived. No Except way. Them, and they started to publish uh, a number of them. <clears throat> and then they got too big for their little office near me. So they opened a much bigger place and had a big party. And I walked in and this woman comes up to me and she says, I am so glad you're with us. I own this company. You don't know me. You haven't met me because I live in London. She said, but I know you. And I said, how do you know me? I didn't recognize her. And she said, I used to live across the street from you and I'd see you walk your dog every single day. Oh, wow. And I thought the perfect publisher has found me. And now I'm working with the same editor. She's with the new company. And together we've probably done eight, nine, ten, 11, about a dozen books together. No. All because of that one little meeting that I happened to go to that she happened to sit behind me. So reason I bring this up is we never know in book publishing what's going to happen with your book. You know, I thought all those books were dead. They're not only alive, but now they're, she's asking me to write new books. Um, you, you just don't know. Um, so. And, you know, everything always, I am such a true believer that everything always works out for the best. And that- <laughs> You sound like my mother. <laughs> I, I, you know, even in our darkest days, you know, yes, humor, you know, you were, you were talking about, about how humor really does help us through the darkest days, you know, your, when your wife was ill and, and so forth, you know, that was how it was in our family. We've had, you know, different crises, just like any other family. And that was one of the saving graces for us. 
and between me and my two boys, you know, people would think we were morbid because of our sense of humor, but it's what got us through some of the most painful uh -huh. times. And, you know, it's like, how can you laugh? And it's like, because if I don't, I'm going to crumble <laughs> and I don't want to crumble yeah. in the moment. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I used to, you know, I was a professional speaker too. And I would, um, my biggest market was hospice workers who are working with dying and grieving people. And they really, uh, the reason I, I love that audience, why I keep marketing to them, because of my own experience with death mm -hmm. and dying, and I was a hospice volunteer, but also because they knew how important laughter was and how close it was to the tears and how how important it was. So they were my favorite audience. And I'm sure that they truly appreciated it because they have, as a volunteer, you, you know, they have one of the hardest jobs out there because they are seeing people and assisting them at their most vulnerable state of life. Right. Yeah, they are fabulous people. If you work in hospice, <laughs> you automatically have to be fabulous because just to deal with all of that is quite stressful. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Uh, my father, we had hospice come in when my father was at the end of his life. And, and my mother has uh, is a retired RN and, and there's, mm -hmm. there's more to the backstory, but I don't need to, to go there. Um, what they do is incredible. And for them, it humor is not only a reminder that we're still alive, because humor does, it brings us back to the moment versus what's going to happen, or how am I going to feel about this, it brings us back to the moment that we're in. And okay, how do I want to feel in this moment? Do I want to feel like, you know, do I want to feel the pain or do I want to help somebody to feel the joy? Um, and yeah, it's just incredible yeah. what they, what they, and they the, I think, you know, when, when the patients in the hospital, um, all attention is given to the patient when they're in hospice, it includes the whole family because anyone who's dying, the whole, the whole family around them is dealing with that and they need comfort and they need support. Yes. And you don't get that from hospitals because they're focused on the patient, but you get it from hospice because they focus on the entire family and, and the spiritual care and the just comfort for everyone involved. So, yeah. So I want to get back to a little yeah. tip for, for yeah. writers. Go for it. <laughs> um, I, I used to belong to a writer's group and every month one of the participants would come and talk about all the great ideas she had and would never write them down. They were, I don't know. She had some block about like putting it down. Um, and I realized that Yes, a lot of people may have that. You know, I don't like sitting at my computer. I don't like writing, whatever it is. But there's so many ways to put down your thoughts into a book. You could tape them. 
on a tape and somebody can transcribe them. You can write it on the computer. You can write it on longhand on yellow pads. I think Woody Allen is famous for writing that way. Um, okay. I know writers who love old-fashioned typewriters. Um, they just like the sound of it and they're just so used to it. Um, how else, Cindy, can you, you write? Uh... See, I've done the, the dictation, you know, into the recorder, especially if I'm driving, because that's where a lot of times oh, I get the ideas. And of course, you know, when you're cruising down the freeway, and in my case, I'm, you know, I tow a camper, I can't just pull over. <laughs> right, so right. I, I grab, I open up the app on my cell phone and yeah, I start to, you know, speak into the app and, and record right. it for later. Um, well, there's all notes. kinds of ways of writing. I remember when I, my first book, I said that fabulous editor, when I first signed the contract, she gave me this little pad with a pen. And when you picked up the pen, a light would come on. She said, keep this by your bedside. She said, because often in the middle of the night, you will get this idea for your book and fumble for a flashlight. Just write it down. Write it down. So um, you never know when ideas come. I, I actually, um, what do you call it? Um, when you... Uh, Honor someone at the beginning of the book. What is that called? You know, you dedicate. I dedicated, oh, dedicated yeah. one of my books to my dog, because <laughs> some of my great ideas would come when I was walking the dog. Yeah, it was quiet. It was just me and the dog. There was no one else talking to me. I'd be inspired by nature, and suddenly, you know, I was working on something and it wasn't coming out well. And I would, in that walk, it would resolve. And sometimes, or sometimes I get a brilliant flash of what needs to be in the book or in the chapter or the title or whatever. And it was walking the dog. A lot of people get ideas in the shower, right? It's this something, yeah, there's something about certain places. And so... Um, and I also, one of the things I also um, find in writing is if I'm writing a certain subject, like the recent book, The Awe Factor, mm -hmm. I would see things that would awe me or stories people would tell me, I, I would go, that's got to go in the book. <laughs> um, one real simple one is um, my friend, they thought she had some kind of brain cancer and she had to go to see the brain surgeon and was real nervous about it, of course, and wanted me to go with her. And I said, certainly. And I went. And a week later, somebody totally unrelated, I thought, until this happened, somebody parked in front of my house. And I was taking the dog out again, the dog. And the guy said to me, is it okay to park here? And I looked, I said, yeah, you're not in either driveway on either side. He said, oh, I'm going to the hospital, which was about a mile away, not even around the corner. He said, I'm going to see the brain surgeon. Um, same hospital my friend went to, to see the brain surgeon. And I thought, what are the chances of this brain surgeon connection <laughs> Not a big all moment, 
but um and I don't know why I brought this story up, but you know, ne- oh, because you never know when something's going to come up that would fit what you're writing about. Right. So just just keep 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 those antennas up and that thought open, and things will come to you. Um, yeah, and they the- do. They come at like you said at the most when you're not thinking, when your mind is at rest. So well, I hope I've given your listeners some tips and. Oh, most certainly. And, uh, and you you brought back a lot of memories. You know, it's been a long time since I've typed in a regular typewriter and and thought about the file folders that I used to have. Well, I still have them. They're somewhere <laughs> with all of my you know ideas to for for articles and and to throw into a book somewhere along the line and. Boy, I have not thought about those in, in years. I mean, I used to store them in a filing cabinet that, you know, yeah. I rarely ever went into. But yeah. no, this has been great. I am, you know, I am so uh, thankful and grateful that you uh, joined me today here at, you know, my virtual studio. <laughs> yeah. So um, where can people find you on the internet? What is your, your website? Well, my website to find out more about me and articles is triple W and then my name, alankline.com. Uh, people do need to spell it correctly because both names could be spelled differently. So it's A-L-L-E-N-K-L-E-I-N.com. Uh, all my books are on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or wherever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, Alan Klein used to be the Beatles manager. I am not that person. <laughs> so, there is a book called Alan Klein. That's not me. I'm the author of uh, many books that you can see on on the Internet. Funny thing is, a number of my quotes are now online, and they, some of them are giving credit to Alan Klein, the Beatles manager. Oh, no! <laughs> Nothing I can do about it. It's just, you know, oh, well. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm I'm on the internet, articles, and other podcasts like this one, uh, if people want to know more about me and my and my books Alrighty. well again thank you so so very much for joining me i i appreciate it and it's really great to meet and speak with you this has truly been fun so thank yeah, you yeah it has been thank you cindy for doing this for future authors yes well and even those authors that you know just need there's a lot of us that have written set it down, life happens. Um, and then we think, yeah, I should get back into it. And, uh, but you know, once a writer, always a writer, and it's something that's in us. You're helping them do that. So thank you. Yeah. Cause you know, keeping a writer silent is not easy to do. <laughs> and it's us that keeps the writer silent. You know, it's us ourselves. So Alrighty, well, you take care of yourself and thank you.
Before we end our time together, I'd like to say thank you for joining us. If this podcast resonated with you, be sure to subscribe, share it, and leave us a comment at pendapaperpress.com. Take care, and until next time, know that your words have power and your story matters. Bye for now.